0: chapter 25 verse 1 then israel lived in shittim and the people began to commit sexual immorality with the daughters of moab these women invited the people to sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods and when israel joined themselves to baal peor the anger of yahweh flared up against israel this is really ran- random where in the world did this come from we've got israel camped out and they're doing all, and God is just miraculously protecting them from all this curses. And then all of a sudden, like the next sentence, it says, and they begin to worship the gods through sex. And you're like, what the heck? And shouldn't there be a transition? It's like watching a TV show and you're like, I feel like I missed an episode somewhere. Well, the Bible, remember Bible, Bible switches chronology a lot sometimes. So, spoiler alert, if we keep reading, we will find out that Balaam, decides that he really wants to earn his money. He finally comes to the point where he's realizing, okay, he's no longer being controlled by God to pronounce these oracles anymore. And he's walking away and he's thinking, yeah, but I really am all about the money. And I really want paid. And that's when he goes to Balak and says, if you really want to destroy Israel, I know something that will work. If you tempt them and dissent." They're still only human. And they will fall. Because Balaam has realized something. God will protect you from military attacks. And God will protect you from all the spiritual incantations and that kind of stuff. But you have the choice to choose to follow Him or not. And He will not force you into an allegiance and obedience to Him. And that's the whole point of Deuteronomy. I have laid before you life and death. Now you choose. And don't choose poorly. And Balaam gets that. And Balaam says, You can't stop them militarily because God is more powerful. You can't stop them incantations because God is more powerful. But God has given them free choice seduce them with sex. And when they give in to that, they will disobey God and God can no longer bless them. Because that's the arrangement of the Mosaic Covenant. That's why Balaam is an evil man. After seven oracles, you might be convinced that this guy has realized Yahweh is it. And he has. Except he's unwilling to give his devotion over And this is why when we get to the book of Jude and Revelation, they will condemn Balaam because greed and money was his true God. And so he says this, send your Moabite prostitutes to them. Now, this is one place where Baal is Baal. Remember, the way that you worship the gods is by sacrificing to them to feed them. But for all intents and purposes, too, the gods were also a bunch of perverts. And so the other way that you worship them is that you would literally go to holy temple prostitutes. Now, that's a total contradiction in the way that we think. But the prostitutes were holy, priestesses, of and priests, male and female both, of the gods, and they were considered righteous and holy. And to sleep with them for merely pleasure, which I think is a dumb way of thinking about it, was a sin because they were holy. But to sleep with them to worship the gods was considered holy. So they would literally go to their temples, and in their worship service, they would sacrifice and then go and sleep, and oftentimes in orgies. And the idea was that because the gods themselves were sexual, deviantly sexual, horrible, evil gods. Remember, all the pagan gods is just a superhuman version of sinful humans. You would have sex with these prostitutes in order to turn the gods on. And the idea is that when you turn them on, they would be in such a good mood that they would want to rain their blessings down on you. And even the way they describe that is very perverted and sexual when it comes to the crops and children and all that kind of stuff. Now, I don't say this to shock you or pervert your mind in any way. I say this because you've got to understand what is going on here. And God puts it in the Bible, and he doesn't blush or apologize for rocking your, your world. And the reality is, this is what he says, send the Moabite priestesses into the camp and lure them out of the camp with seductive behavior to this, the, the, the altar of Baal and bring them into an orgy. That's what you do to bring Israel down. Then you begin to read verse 1 and you realize it totally worked. These women invited the people to sacrifice of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down before their gods. And when Israel joined themselves to baal Peor, the anger of Yahweh flared up against Israel. Now notice it says that they joined themselves to Baal. It's the same word of a man and a woman becoming one flesh. They have become one flesh with Baal through this sexual orientation with Baal's priestesses. And they're worshiping Baal in this way. And they ate. This is important too. Because remember, eating is making a covenant in the ancient world. Verse 4. Yahweh said to Moses, Arrest all the leaders of the people and hang them up before Yahweh in broad daylight, so that the fierce anger of Yahweh may be turned away from Israel. Now, he's not commanding all the leaders of Israel. The implication is the leaders who are leading Israel into this behavior. And he basically is saying, Kill them all so that God will be appeased and he won't strike you all down dead. Now remember, the only way that you can pay for sins is with a sacrifice. These humans are going to become the atonement, so to speak. Because remember, the only time that you don't have to commit a sacrifice is if you murder somebody. And the reason that a murderer doesn't have to make a sacrifice to God is because the murderer is going to be killed. And his own death pays for the sin. And we know that. I know that seems like really weird, but if you really think about it, we know that people who reject Christ die, and their death, eternal damnation, pays for their sins. But because they're not eternal beings, and they can't resurrect themselves, there is no life for them. The reality is, it says, you need to kill them so the wrath of God will stop. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you must execute those of his men who were joined to Baal Poror. And that makes it clear that it's just the leaders who are sinning. Just then one of the Israelites came and brought to his brothers a Midianite woman in the plain view of Moses and of the whole community of the Israelites while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle. When Phineas... Now, you have to understand what happens. One of these guys, which we're going to find out later, is Zimri, and he's a Simeonite. He brings a Midianite woman by the name of Kazbi into the camp, and right in front of Moses, and we don't know whether it's right in front of the gate of the tabernacle or in the gate of the tabernacle, he begins to have sex with this woman in front of everybody. Now talk about a shake your fist at everybody kind of a sin. This shows you how how much this is a part of their culture, that even though they are a separate nation, They're still so much influenced by their culture that it doesn't take much for them to go astray. Like today we would think like, holy cow, I can't imagine anybody in the church ever doing that. Yeah, I know we have sexual immorality and that kind of stuff, but bringing it right into the church, right in front of the pulpit in the middle of a church service, and that is nothing compared to the, the actual tabernacle of God. But that's their culture. That is so common in their culture that even though they've said they won't do that under the Mosaic Covenant, They're easily seduced back into it because it is the culture. You have to realize what feels so abhorrent and shocking to us, and rightfully so, and good for you, (laughs) is considered normal and righteousness by the people of the ancient world. They called it righteousness. And this is a huge shaking your fist at God, like, screw you, I'm gonna do this right in front of everybody, and I don't care. That's evil. So Phineas. The son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, a priest. Now, remember, one of the jobs of the priest is coming to the tabernacle and sin. What is it? Purifying. Purifying the tabernacle and making sure that it stays pure. And if anybody enters the tabernacle unlawfully, the Levites have every right to kill somebody. This is totally unlawful. So Phineas, in obedience to previous commands of Yahweh, came and brought... Um, When Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the the priest, saw it, he got up from among the assembly, took a javelin in his hand, and went after the Israelite man into the tent and thrust through the Israelite man and into the woman's abdomen, so the plague was stopped from the Israelites. Those who died in the plague were 24,000 people. Now, the fact that he's killing the man and shoving it through the woman's abdomen at the exact same moment and one thrust means that they were in the process of having sex with each other in the tabernacle. And Phineas goes right up to them and shoves the javelin through both of their bodies and into the ground and kills them right then and there. The, the good churchgoer in us <laughs> would say, that is messed up, Phineas. That is really evil. Who do you think you are? I mean, holy crap, that's double murder, homicide. But verse ten says, Yahweh spoke to Moses and said, "Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites when he manifested such zeal, righteous obedience, and um, passion for God for my sake among them, so that I did not consume the Israelites in my zeal. Therefore, announce, I am going to give to him my covenant of peace." So it will be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of permanent priesthood because he has been zealous for his God and has made atonement for the Israelites. This is the garden of God, so speak. This is the presence of God. And somebody brought everything that is contrary to the law of God. Sexual immorality, covenant unloyalty, breaking the covenant, shaking her fist at God and saying, I don't care, and doing it all basically in all intents of purposes in heaven right before God, because that's what the tabernacle is. He deserves to die. And Phineas has been commanded by God to keep the place pure. And God's wrath has stopped. That kind of changes your, or broadens your definition of righteousness. Remember, righteousness is right living before Yahweh. And whatever Yahweh says is right is what is right. And Yahweh made it very clear. And the reality is, now, listen, I am not saying that you have any right to do that today if that happens in your church or anything close to that. Because we, we do not have priests in our church under a covenant of God who have been commis- given power. And we, this church is a building that is not the garden of God. And there are no priests ordained by God. And there, but here's the reality. If we keep moving through the Bible, we begin to realize that the new tabernacle, the new temple, the new garden is us. Which means we are to be just as zealous and just as fierce in eradicating the immorality in our own garden. And this is why Jesus says, if your right eye offends you or sins against you, you can pluck it out. Now, he doesn't mean that literally. Some of the early church fathers took that pretty literally. But it does mean that th- this is what we've been called to. This is what we've been called to. Now, notice, nowhere in the Bible does God ever give them the permission to go into other nations and do that. And I think we need to stop turning on the world and judging them and throwing javelins at them acting like they know better somehow and start turning the javelins on ourselves the reality is what do you expect of them <laughs> they don't know god and the only thing that can change us is the holy spirit and if we're not more focused on our own transformation because we're too busy trying to transform a world through our own finger pointing then you've missed the whole point of the first testament that none of that changes people. Only the Holy Spirit. Let the world figure itself out. And you focus on us, we focus on the church, we focus on getting right with God. And when we start getting right with God, and we start looking and being and thinking differently than the rest of the world, then they'll be attracted to that. And they'll begin to change because God will be in their life. Unfortunately, we don't do a whole lot of changing not you in particular, but the American church. And then when we go out and throw our spears at them, they throw it right back at us and say, you don't look much different. This is what God has called us to. And God promises. Now remember, Aaron has two sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, because the other two died back in Acts or on Leviticus chapter 10. And then Eleazar has several sons. So remember the high priest goes from Aaron to Eleazar and, we don't know which one of sons of Eleazar is going to. But at this point, God says, Phineas. And Phineas' line is going to be the high priest forever. That's what he rewards Phineas with. Because Phineas was willing to do the hard and difficult thing and go in there. And as easily as it reads on paper, we all know enough by now that killing anybody for whatever reason, that takes a toll on you. And yet Phineas is willing to do it for the righteousness of God because that's what's important to God. And so the plague stops. Now here's what's interesting. 24,000 people die in this plague. When we go to the next census, we're going to find out that Simeon just happens to lose about 24,000 people. And then you begin to realize that the leader of this was Zimri, a Simeonite, And you realize that this is one of the last people left over from that earlier generation. And it's at this point that we almost get the idea that that generation's completely gone now. Now, I'm not saying nobody from the new generation was a part of this, but it tends to be mostly dominated by the older generation. And this is one of the last things that finally cleanses that older generation out. And now we're left with a new group of people. Verse 14, now the name of the Israelite who was stabbed, the one who stabbed with the Midianite, was stabbed with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader in the clan of the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Kazbi, the daughter of Zer. He was the leader over the people in the clan of Midian. Here's what's interesting. There were two sons of Jacob that were cursed back in Genesis 48 and 49. And they were Simeon and Levi because they slaughtered the Shechemites under the Abrahamic covenant. And God said, because of that, I'm going to, you're going to get no inheritance, and I'm going to scatter you in among the people. But because I made a promise to Abraham, you'll be a part of the chosen people, but you'll get no land inheritance, you'll get no land allotment, you're scattered along. So then we learned that because he brought Joseph's two sons in, we have 13 biological lines of Israel, but we only have 11 political tribes with tribal territory, because out of the 13, Levi and Simeon didn't get any, which means only 11 tribes will have land when we get to the book of Joshua. Simeon and Levi were to be scattered among all the other nations, not biologically lost, their lineage, but politically and tribal territorially lost. But when they worshiped the golden calf, who stood next to Moses and refused to worship it and actually did the difficult thing of killing the people? Levi. And in that sense, God says, you will be my priest and everybody else. Now, isn't that interesting? Everybody's worshiping, defiling the righteousness of God's camp, and the Levites step up and do the difficult thing and kill all the people who are doing that, and God rewards them with priesthood. Phineas does the same thing. He's rewarded with the high priesthood. So they killed everybody that was responsible, and God says, everybody's lost the right to be the priest because of this, but you, Levi, get to be the priest. Now when we get to the end of Numbers, we're going to find out God is still going to scatter Levi among all the nations as a judgment for Genesis 49, but he's going to give them their own cities because they're going to be priests responsible for teaching people about God. So what ends up being a curse originally in a judgment being scattered and lost, because they found redemption and came to God and obeyed him, God uses that scattering to make sure that the priests are among all the people and strategically located in the entire nation to teach the people about God. That's huge. This just shows you that even if you're cursed and judged by God, there's always redemption. And God can use any punishment and any judgment and turn around as a blessing if there is repentance and redemption. Now, Simeon, they didn't go and repent. They went deeper in. And Simeon will get lost. And from this point on, we don't really hear about Simeonites really ever at all. And it kind of is like an ancient tribal version of Peter and Judas. Both betraying Christ. One found redemption and was used in the church. And the other one committed suicide. That's the reality. You have a choice to choose God or not. And even if you don't choose God, you still have the chance to find redemption and get back right. Or you can just keep digging yourself deeper and deeper in like the Simeonites. And you're going to see that when we get to the second census, the Simeonites' numbers are less than every other tribe, far less than everybody else's tribe. And they brought an extra curse upon themselves. Verse 16, Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, Bring trouble to the Midianites and destroy them, because they bring trouble to you with their treachery, with which they deceived you in the matter of poor." And the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the prince of Minion, their sister who was killed on that day of the plague that happened to result in Peror. Now remember, these guys are off limits. They're not allowed to go in and eradicate these people. But because they have done a gross sin against God's righteousness, now they're on the judgment list. Now here's what you must understand. God has given them every permission to go into all those tribal people, the Moabites and the Midnites, and exterminate them for what they just did, but they don't have permission to exterminate all the Moabites and the Midnites. And so this is where it's like, they're not on the list, but they kind of are. Only the people who participate in this are on the list, but because the vast majority of them did not, and they're still under the Abrahamic promises because of being descendants, you're not allowed to just wipe them all out. Which is interesting because when the Amalekites, a small group, attacked Israel, God put all of them on the list. Because the Amalekites aren't descendants from Abraham. Now the Moabites did the same thing, but they're not all put on the list because now God has this promise to the Moabites through Abraham, but also a judgment that they deserve to reap. And so only certain Moabites and Midianites are allowed to be attacked in this war. So God is going to tell them to go to war. However, they're not going to go yet. Okay, he puts that on pause.